funny, the older you get, the things that speak to you, speak to you a little bit different. If you would have asked me two years ago, what's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, I don't know that it would have been this series of verses. If you would have asked me even a year ago, hey, Gary, man, what is one of your favorite verses or series of verses in all the Bible? I don't know that this one would have spoke to me, but over the last few months, over the last year, as I get a little bit older and I begin to evaluate what's important in my life and what gets my time and what doesn't get my time, this series of verses has become some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible because I just think it sets a precedent that how you respond to a situation is different depending on the circumstances. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 1, the Bible says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. The Bible says there's a time to be born and there's a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. The Bible says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build. The Bible says there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I've seen some of you dance. I don't know that that applies to you. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. The Bible says there's a time to embrace and there's a time to refrain from embracing. The Bible says there's a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away. The Bible says there's a time to tear and a time to mend and a time to be silent. Let me repeat that for some of you. The Bible says there's a time to be silent. Ah, oh, but it also says there's a time to speak. The Bible says there's a time of love and a time of hate. The Bible says there's a time for war. There's a time for peace. The Bible's telling us, hey, depending on the circumstances that are happening around us, that determines how we respond to certain situations. We like to believe that everything is black and white. We like to believe that no matter the circumstances, no matter who it involves, no matter what's going on, no matter how it's going on or what's happening around us, we should always respond this way. Or we should always respond that way. But God comes along in Ecclesiastes and he says, we need to understand something. There's certain times that you respond this way and there's certain times you respond that way. We're in a time unlike any other time, at least in my lifetime. I would say with the exception of maybe Doug Knight, who's 131 years old, it's safe to say we're in times that most of you have never experienced before. We've experienced parts of what's going on at different times, but I'm not sure that we have experienced everything that is happening over the last three or four months in our society like we are today. If you listen to the media, we're in a time of division in our country. The narrative is, no matter what narrative is being pushed, it's a narrative of division and not a narrative of unity. We live in a day and time where there's all kinds of issues that have led to us fighting among ourselves. At the forefront of what's going on in our society is the issue of race, the issues of a virus, the issue of to mask or not to mask. The issue of are you voting red or are you voting blue or are you voting whatever? Mix them together and it's purple, I guess. We live in a day and time of no matter where you stand, there's division. I saw a Facebook post this week that had, last time I checked, about 1,300 comments of people going back and forth, commenting in some of the most ungodly ways, which I'm used to, except it was ironic to me the issue they were debating was whether or not churches should be open on Sundays or churches should be closed on Sundays. A lot of good opinions on both sides. Not a lot of Christian behavior from either side. 
live in a day and time where everything around us is causing division. And the question becomes, how do we respond in times like these? Do we hold true to things that are important to us? And I I think you should always hold true to things that are convictions to you, no matter what side of the spectrum you're on. This isn't about what you believe as much as how do we respond and handle ourselves in conveying those beliefs. I'm a big believer that every issue, if you trace it back to its root, is always a connection issue. Every issue that we deal with in life, I don't care if it's a hurt, it's a habit, it's a hang-up, if you trace it back, it always goes back to a relational issue because the reality is we were created for two things, to worship God, and while we're on this earth, we were created for relationships. The Bible said, God looked out and said, it's not good for man to be alone. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and God began to speak everything into existence, and he spoke the land into existence. He spoke the water into existence. He spoke the day into existence. He spoke the night into existence. He spoke the animals and the trees, and everything he created, he spoke it into existence, and the Bible says God looked at it and said, it is good. He created man. It was the only time he didn't say it was good. I don't know what was going through his head. I'm sure it was, I think I can do better than that. So he created woman (laughs) because it was not good for man to be alone. We're created for connection. You've heard me say this 10 million times as the pastor of this church. But I say even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. I mean, your freaking name is the Lone Ranger, meaning you roll through life alone. Your name's a lie. You got Tonto everywhere you go. Even the Lone Ranger needed a Tonto. We're created for relationships. We're created to do life with one another, but instead of focusing on what unites us, we focus nonstop on what divides us. It's funny, someone pointed this out to me recently about social media. And I went and began to do a study on my own and examine it and see if what they were saying was true. They said, it's odd to me that I'm friends with certain people on Facebook. And the only thing I ever see from those people on social media are all the things that I disagree with. So I went to their Facebook profile pages and realized they posted all kinds of things that I agree with. They posted, man, cooking out with friends going to the lake, man, enjoying vacation. But isn't it funny, none of those things ever show up on my timeline. The only things that show up on my timeline is the things that the algorithm realizes I don't agree with. So I said, nah, there's no way that's happening. So I begin to go down my Facebook feed, just like all of you, and I've got about 737 people that I disagree with nonstop about everything. I've got certain people that it seems like everything they post I disagree with to the point that I begin to use that all-powerful unfollow button even for family members. Unfollow is incredible because that way you don't got to see their stuff but they don't got to know you unfriended them. That way it's not awkward as you're sharing turkey on Thanksgiving. But I begin to click on their pages and same thing happened. Man, off with the kids out, out to eat. So nice to be out in public. Boy, the kids had a great time at such and such party today. Man, we went and saw this movie and it was incredible. Man, we went here today and hung out at the lake all day and had a blast. And I'm like, how come this stuff never shows up on my timeline? Only their political views or their virus views or their financial views or their economy views always show up on my timeline because we live in a day and time where division is king. We live in a day and time, and I am not being a conspiracy person, and I am not about to get political. If anybody knows me, it's not happening. But dare I say, we live in a day and time where division, I believe, is actually manufactured in so many cases. 
And it's so contrary to what God says. If you were to go to Acts chapter 2 and see the formation of the church, one thing you'll see is you read through the book of Acts, I believe it's 13 times in the book of Acts as it's talking about the early church. It talks about they were in one accord. They were unified. They had everything in common. Now here's the deal. There were thousands and thousands of people in those churches. There's no way they agreed on everything. But they majored on the major. And they minored on the minor. And they realized that it is okay and it is acceptable to disagree with people and still love them. Dare I say it's okay to disagree with people and still like them. But we live in a day and time where every time you flip the channel or you read something, the message is the complete opposite. We're living in the days of relational poverty. If we can turn on ourselves, then everything else falls into place for those that want it to fall into place. We live in a day and time where if the church and those of us that are Christ followers should ever be leading the way, we've actually turned everything into a religious issue. Listen, I'm not going to say I'm for masks or I'm against masks. Let me make that clear. But how a mask becomes a biblical issue is mind-boggling to me. But we turn everything, even the church, into a place of disunity. What little connection we do have in our society, we get through social media, and that's the fakest, most shallowest form of connection there is. The little bit of interaction and physical connection we have, we live in a day and time where it's encouraged, and I understand why it's encouraged, but it's encouraged to social distance, not be around people, (laughs) wear something over your face where you can't even see the facial expressions of people. We live in a day and time where connection is slowly being killed. We are socially killing people. And as a result, we have a society that's struggling relationally. And when a society begins to struggle relationally, division begins to set in. When there's no unity in our lives, division sets in. When there's no common interest in our lives, disunity begins to set in. And brother turns on brother. Oh, and I think the Bible said that would happen. We live in times like these, and the question becomes, how do we respond? And the way so many of us are responding on both sides of the spectrum, it just manifests itself in different ways as we respond in fear. The problem is God, the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but yet we, we're fear. We're, we're fearful of getting sick. We're fearful of losing someone. We're, we're, we're fearful of racism. We're fearful of economic failure. And really, at the end of the day, while all of these issues are valid, every single one of them are valid, the root of the issue is simply connection. When there's connection happening and there's brotherhood happening, And there's life with others happening. The Bible says two are better than one. For one picks the other one up. My wife and I have said many, many times in our years together, we've been really lucky that neither one of us are in funks at the same time. Neither one of us are ready to kill somebody at the same time. You say, y'all think about killing people? Yeah, a lot. (laughs) Just being honest with you. I don't think a pastor should feel that way. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not the perfect pastor. If you're looking for the perfect church, it's probably out there, but don't you join it because you'll ruin it from being perfect. There's power in unity. There's power in being able to pick up the phone and say, man, here's how I'm feeling. The other person, the other end, while they understand how you feel, and maybe they're not in that place at that time and they can get you out of that funk. Can't tell you how many times over the last three months I've had to talk Kylie Blankenship off the ledge. Don't do that. Step away. 
Do I need to call Betty? And I'm not talking about the physical edge. Relational poverty is the issue. I overuse this verse all the time, but I, I believe it's the answer to so much of what's happening in our society. The Bible says in Mark 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The, the Bible says God wants every bit of you. He wants your mental ability, your emotional ability, your physical ability. He wants your spiritual love. God doesn't want 90% of you. God's not looking for you to be half in, 75% in, 80% in. God says, I want someone to be all in when it comes to loving me. There's not a one of us here that would be happy with our wife telling us, man, I love you, 90%. But I got this other thing that gets about 10% of that love. I'd be like, who, what? What is it? We want all of that love. We want to give all of that love. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with everything that is in me. He, he said that in response to someone asking him, what's the greatest commandment? Well, there wasn't just one great commandment because God, Jesus came along and said, hey, there's another one. It's just as important. He said, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be willing to do for anybody what you would do for yourself. If anything has come through in times like these, we've learned we love ourselves, so we're willing to do whatever it takes to survive. You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. I'm going to go ahead and just tell you how my mind works. So when everything hit the fan a few months ago, and we didn't know what was going to happen because there's uncertainty, you can rest assured that I did whatever it took to make sure myself and my family was going to be protected. To the point that I checked certain guns in my house and made sure ammunition was good in my house and thought to myself, you're going to say, I, I, it might seem a little bit overboard. I'm just telling you how I think. And maybe, maybe you got a lot more faith and you didn't do that. I'm thinking, huh, someone want to enter my house. How would they enter my house? Well, if they enter my house right here, I could take them out right here. And I thought, what if things really hit the fan? I said, well, man, I got a pretty good building. But I could board up the front of that building and I could house a lot of people here. So I began to call people that I was going to invite. So you weren't going to invite everybody? No. Because I'm selfish, I'm thinking about myself. Because I love myself. I think, well, I'll bring this dude in, he can cook. And I bring this dude in, man, I, he used to be a ranger. Oh, and this guy's got a lot of guns. Oh, this guy just makes me laugh, I'm going to bring him in, I got to laugh every now and then. Oh, this guy knows all the trails back here in the woods. You say, why, why are you thinking like that? Because I love myself and I want to live. Bible says as much as we love ourselves, we should love our neighbors. I know some of you are like, I am never coming back to this crazy church. I didn't say I did any of this. I'm just saying this is what was going through my mind. Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. In a book full of commandments, it really boils down to love God and love people. In times like these, how is the church supposed to respond and it's so cliche that we often overlook it but here's the reality of the situation love wins in times like these if there was ever a time where the church and those who are christ followers ought to be excelling in a certain area we ought to be excelling in love and again you can love and disagree. How many of you have kids? How many of you agree with everything your kids do? Oh, none of you? How many of you love them anyway? Funny how that works, ain't it? Love wins. If we loved our neighbors like we love ourselves, I believe with everything that is in me, it would cure a lot of the ailments in this world. If we loved our neighbors, we would want the best for our neighbors. Instead of loving being right. 
If we loved our neighbors, we wouldn't see color. I don't see color. Yeah, you do. We all see color. Every color sees color. I I don't like that statement. Don't come back. You must have me mistaken for someone who cares. Everybody sees color. But if we loved our neighbor like we should, we wouldn't. We'd see people. We'd see breathing people. We'd see human lives. But we don't. We don't love as we should love. If we loved our neighbors as ourselves, we'd really give two rips who our neighbors choose to love. Never understood the church fighting that fight. I don't think that they have a right to love that person or that person. Listen, our job's to love. That, that means we love people who agree with everything that we do. And we love people who agree with nothing that we do. And that means we love people who look like us. And we love people who don't look like us. We simply love people because that's the command we were given. Love wins. In a world full of turmoil, in a world full of chaos, in a world full of disunity, the the world is looking for somebody to come along and love. And let me make this very clear to you. Neither side is showing a bunch of love. You say, either side of what? Either side of whatever issue we're talking about. It's arrogance and cockiness and pridefulness and rebellion and us trying to prove we're right and they're wrong instead of loving people. Love, as simple as it sounds, is the answer. Jesus demonstrated this over and over and over. I'm going to butcher this saying, but what's the saying that Billy Graham always said? Billy Graham met with uh, President Clinton when Clinton was going through all his mess, and the news came out, and they blasted Billy Graham, and and he said, uh, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. I'm paraphrasing here, so it might not be exact. He says, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. It's simply my job to love. When we're loving as we should love, everything falls into place. Our problem is we're more concerned with convincing than we are loving. We're more concerned with changing people's ideology than loving them right where they're at. You want to change people's ideology? Just simply love them. And it's amazing what will happen. There's power in love. Love God with everything that is in you. And oh, BTW, man, love people too. People call the church all the time that are new to the area or looking for a church, and they're like, what do you guys believe? I said, man, we just believe in loving God and loving people, and we try to take action. I get it, those are three, but what do you leave about this? I said, we just believe you love God, you love people, you take action. I understand, I understand, listen, I'm not stupid, I know what you're trying to say, but what about this issue? Where do you stand on this? We stand on love God, love people, and we try to take action. Click every time. Say, well, maybe the church will grow bigger if you answer some of those questions. I just believe the church is growing with the people it needs to grow with because we love God, love people, and take action. There's just something unique about what I like to call the island of misfit toys. It's funny, our church gets labeled all the time as one side of the issue. And it's always funny to me when that happens because when I walk through the doors, I see so many people with so many different backgrounds and so many different issues. I walk around the church today and I see people with Trump masks on. I see people with BLM shirts on and I see people on with F cancer shirts on. And I think, God, that's a pretty diverse crowd of people. Kind of think that's what heaven will look like. I see people who make well into six figures and literally there's people here today that are living out in the woods 
because they've always known they're welcome here. We have people in this building today that have been going on almost 50 years of marriage, and we've got other people in this church that are closer to have being married 50 times. It's a diverse group of people. We've always been the church that has said, we don't care about your social standing. We don't care about the color of your skin. And we don't care about your sexual preference. Our job's to love God, love people, to take action. Someone will come back to me anytime I do this and say, yeah, but we see you on social media and you, and you give your opinions on stuff. Here's the difference between me and many of you. I can give my opinion on things, and I'm okay that you don't agree. They're my opinions. You'll never find anywhere, very, very rarely actually, where I ever comment on anything I post. I post my opinion. I let all of y'all fight amongst yourselves. And God knows you do a phenomenal job of it. And I very rarely get into it. I had to get into it yesterday because two people got so vulgar and they're fighting back and forth. I just simply had to say, hey, gentlemen, be nice. I didn't delete their post. I didn't send them private messages and scold them. They got vicious with each other. Funny thing is, I thought to myself, you two are exactly alike, and if you ever met outside of social media, you'd get along great. But you're commenting on something that you don't know the tone, you don't know the background, and you don't know the reason it's being posted, and you guys are going at it like crazy. Loving people doesn't mean we're not entitled to our opinion. It doesn't mean that we have to be sheep. It doesn't mean that we have to not have our own mindset. It doesn't mean that we can't have our own convictions. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. It just means simply we love people no matter where they're at in their stage in life. My former best friend couldn't be any further on the spectrum than I am. I say, why is it your former best friend? Because I, I, I demand a lot. She got married. I cut into my time. She's not my best friend anymore. She knows that. I've put her on the side. I've had to take resumes for new BFF. She doesn't like it, but that's okay. That's horrible. I'm, I'm kidding. It's okay. Couldn't have had two people on opposite ends of the spectrum literally on every single issue. And yet love each other and have respect for each other. If we loved our neighbors, as the Bible says we're to love our neighbors, we could love even though we disagree. We can love without feeling like we need to respond every time someone says something we don't agree with. But we can't do that. Because social media has given us an avenue to say whatever we want anytime we want and not worry about getting punched in the face for saying it. There was a time 10 years ago, half you wouldn't have had the testicular fortitude to say the stuff you say. Everybody's a bad A behind the keyboard. And we cause division. And I can't help but think it grieves the heart of God. So how do we love? It sounds great to say, man, you gotta love people, but what are the steps in loving people? Well, as you look at the life of Jesus, you'll see he went about loving people in three very specific ways. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to love people with touch. Every husband just got excited. Not talking about that. The Bible says this in Matthew 8. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him, him being Jesus. A man with leprosy came. I want you to focus on that because I'm going to break that down for you here real quick. And knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I think there's anything more relevant to our society today. It'd be this. The Bible says that a man with leprosy, <laughs> leprosy comes before Jesus and check it out, he doesn't ask Jesus a question, he makes a statement. He doesn't say, Lord, heal me. He says, Lord, if you're willing, 
You can make me clean. He had no question on what God could do. He knew exactly what God could do if God chose to do it. Lord, if you're willing. You say, why wouldn't God be willing? I I don't know, but there's a plan and purpose in everything that God chooses to do. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. I don't understand why. But you got to understand what's happening here. You need to understand what type of disease this is. It's not a disease that is common in our culture today. But in the time of Christ, it was a very common disease. It was a, um, in fact, in, in the Old Testament, there were laws actually written that if you were a leopard, how you could do things and how you couldn't do things. And if you're around someone who was a leper, you had to do this and do that. And it was a horrible disease. It started with muscle aches and joint pain, and it started with fatigue. (laughs) Now, you need to understand something. When someone was diagnosed with leprosy, they were given about 10 years to live. And what a horrible 10 years it was. It was one of the most unthinkable things you could ever. I I was actually going to show some pictures of it today. I Googled some pictures of it and was going to have Xander put them up on the screen. And they were so horrific and so just stomach churning that I I thought better of it. The muscle and the fatigue, they turn into these scaly rashes on the skin, which then become lumps filled with pus. So imagine you're covered in big pus lumps all over you. Then it would move into their vocal cords and their vocal cords would literally begin to change their voice. It became so painful to the people that their facial structure began to change. Their cheekbones would rise up. They couldn't eat. With a little bit of time, you no longer even looked like you were human. You looked like an animal. The cheekbones would become inflamed. Their bodies would begin to decompose on their bones, and they would smell like death. It was highly contagious. And yet here's a man with leprosy. And the last thing on his mind with Jesus was social distancing. He has invaded the space of Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's funny. I believe in personal responsibility. I have found myself recently being more responsible and stepping away from people. I was in the checkout line the other day. A guy got behind me. He was very close to me. And guess what I did when he got close to me? I wasn't an a-hole. I just decided to myself, you know what? I can step out of this line. I didn't want to be obvious to him. I said, man, forgot something. Go ahead and move up. And I got out of line, walked down and got in another line. I'm conscious of that. I was walking into a restroom the other day and a bunch of guys went to the restroom. I said, there's probably too many people in that restroom for me right now. I'm gonna stay out here and wait. We become conscious of certain things. But this man's right up on Jesus, invading all of his space, highly contagious, and Jesus didn't push him away. The Bible says in verse three, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, I'm willing, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of leprosy. He interacted with this man. This man probably had not had human interaction in years. He probably had not had human interaction since the time he was diagnosed. And Jesus said, be clean. (laughs) And none of us are God and I get all that. But just imagine for a second, this guy kneels before you. Honestly, what are you gonna do? No hand sanitizer back then. No N95 mask. Back then, no rubber gloves back then. Are you going to step back and say, man, I'm going to pray for you from a distance? (laughs) I'm going to freak some of you out right here, and you're not going to have anything to do with me now, and that's okay. Last week, I came in contact with someone who had tested positive for COVID. They had, since that time, tested negative for COVID. They were telling me about the experience And you could see on their face, man, it was a horrible experience. 
They asked me to pray for them. They said, we just pray for me. They said, I, I'm worried, man. No one knows about this, and no one knows what the future is going to hold with. Is this going to affect me? I, I don't know. And, man, my job is weird about me coming back, and I don't know how I'm going to make a living. I reached out my hand, and I put it on their shoulder, and I pulled them close to me, and I prayed for them. And when I got done praying for them, I didn't think about it. I just did it. I said, man. I think that's the first time someone's touched me in three weeks. Thank you. They didn't thank me for praying. They thanked me that I cared of you, so you shouldn't do that. You don't do it. I don't think I want to be around. Don't be around me. You can watch online. I'm not going to be stupid. But we're going to love with people. <laughs> now, here's the funny thing. Jesus could have healed this man without touching him. Throughout the Bible, you see instance after instance after instance. When he called Lazarus forth from the grave, he never touched Lazarus. But in this situation, for whatever reason, he felt like the need for human touch was important. I'm not going up and down the street asking everybody who's got COVID if they want a hug. I ain't throwing COVID parties. I'm not being stupid. But in that instance, I felt like what that person needed was not somebody to look at him and say, hey, I'll pray for you, tough guy. They need someone to put a hand on their shoulder and pray for them. What if you get it? I don't think I got it. Unless it's got kryptonite in it, I ain't getting it. Be careful saying that. I go get it now. I'm not going to wood. But we're just called to love people. <laughs> we have someone who attends this church pretty regularly. I've never shared this story. I actually sent a message this week to make sure I could share this story. They told me one time, they said, Man, you know, the music at the church is just a little too loud. <laughs> he said, I like your preaching, but I've heard better. I well, thanks, man. He said, but man, this is the only place every week where somebody hugs my neck and tells me they're glad to see me. And he began to describe the lady. He said, you know the lady with the platinum blonde hair? She's always got a dress on. I knew instantly. I can't remember anything he said, but he was talking about Faye. He said, she hugs me every week and tells me she's so glad I'm there. He said, man, I'm single, I'm older, my wife passed away. He goes, I'm alone. And he said, I come to that church every week for that hug. That's powerful. He said, I come every week. He said, I don't know why, but every week I know what you're going to do. I'm going to walk in, you're going to crack on me, and you're going to give me knuckles. And he said, man, I love it. Every week. Then he began to describe someone. I couldn't figure out the gentleman he was talking to. He said, this guy's going to come to me every week. And he described in depth. He said, he's going to shake my hand and he's going to grab my arm with his, my forearm with his hand. Shake my hand like that. And he said, it's the one time a week that I feel loved. There's power in touch. There's power in contact. We live in a day and time when there's a lot of scared people, a lot of hurting people. And what we've done is we've come along and said, man, no contact. And I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm not beating you up. I get it. Be smart. I'm not saying be stupid. But you also have got to use some discernment and be in the mindset where you're not operating in fear, where you're operating in faith, where when God can speak to you and tell you that person needs a slap on the shoulder. That person maybe needs a hug. That person needs a fist bump. That person simply needs the new thing, the elbow bump. I don't understand why we don't, there must be no COVID in the elbow. Because that's like the new thing. Amen. Cool. I think it'd be cool like if we went to like a knee bump, you know, I don't know, but just discernment and loving people where they are. Again, it's just, it's just discernment. 
People are longing for physical connection. And physical connection is so much more than just sex. There's power in a hug. I was reading an article recently about this mom at the gay pride parades. And she wears a shirt and says, I'm a mom. Do you need a hug? And so many of these kids come up to her because their moms have disowned them and their dads have disowned them. And they just simply need a hug. They don't need to be preached to. They don't need to be beat over the head. They just need touch. Hey, hey, we're going to love by listening. God gave you one of these, two of these. Sometimes we just need to listen. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to what, Christine? Did you say lie? They listen to lie? I don't even understand that. Bro, reply. Okay, I don't understand that. understand that. I was like, how do you listen to lie? I was going to be like, shut up out there. Don't take over my sermon. (laughs) Christine tells me all the time, I I need you to listen to what I'm about to say. Of course. No, 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 no. I need you to listen to understand and not listen to get defensive. She said, I need you to listen without your head getting cocked sideways and your jaw getting tight because you're automatically looking about how you can respond and counteract what I'm saying. (laughs) Very rarely do we listen to understand. What we do is we nod our head like we understand, but we're really waiting. We can come back with that incredible comeback. The incredible, I'm going to show you. Can I tell you something the other day? Someone wrote something on Facebook. Have you ever noticed a, a theme here in this message where so much of the love doesn't happen with social media? And I read it real quick, and I responded. And all of a sudden, every one of the comments was like, what are you talking about? I'm thinking, what do you mean, what am I talking about? I stopped for a minute. I was like, man, what am I talking about? Let me go back and read the post. And I actually read the post instead of reading it real quickly and totally misunderstood what I had read. And my response, trying to put this person in their place, had nothing to do at all with what they wrote. Because instead of reading the whole thing, I read the first sentence. I said, oh, I'm going to show them. Show them. And really what I did is I made an ass of myself. You say, there's kids in the service. That's a donkey. It's cool. King James English. And trust me, I know all you parents, y'all said a lot worse. Don't try to get all spiritual on me. Jesus was the great listener. There's an amazing story, but I need to build a little bit of context around it. There's two men walking down a street. Now, Jesus had just been crucified, Okay. No one knew he had risen from the dead. So imagine everybody thinks you're dead. You're back alive and you're rolling down the street. Okay? These two men had put their entire hopes of their lives on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus was going to build the kingdom on earth. They couldn't comprehend that Jesus had come to build a heavenly kingdom. And they're walking down the road and their internal hopes are dashed. They're depressed, they're lonely, and Jesus comes up alongside of them. Jesus just rolls up on them. And he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Hey, guys, what are you discussing? They stood still, their face downcast. One of them named Caliphus asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? <laughs> Jesus, he's pimp. What things? He knows what they're talking about. They're talking about him being crucified. Well, what things? What things have happened? About Jesus, they replied. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Jesus just rolled up on them, started a conversation with them, began to ask them questions, and listened to their responses. 
He didn't say, hey, Dad, it's me. Surprise. He wanted to feel their anguish. He wanted to feel their hurt. He wanted to know what was going on with them, so he began to listen. He could have looked at them and said, hey, stop being depressed. I'm here. He doesn't do that. He starts with a question. The guy's discussing. What's going on? He he continues with another question. He asked them. I I, I think it's huge that Jesus does this. He He didn't reveal himself and solve their pain. I think he was just letting them know, letting us know, sometimes people just need you to walk alongside them and listen. Sometimes they don't want the answer. (laughs) When was the last time you walked up to someone and just asked them what their story was? When was the last time you walked up to someone and just said, man, what's going on in your life? How are you doing when everything began to hit the fan, I began to message people that I knew on other sides of the issue, and I began to ask them, hey, man, how are you feeling about this? Guess what? A lot of the responses, me personally, I didn't agree with. But I didn't tell them that. I just listened. I didn't compromise my beliefs. I didn't say, oh, I get it. You're right. I just listened. One of them called me, and they began to tell me their view some of the racial things in our society. They said, do you see what I'm talking about? My answer was, does it matter if I see it? You see it. And he said, you're not going to try to convince me that I'm wrong? I said, man, that's your reality. Perception is reality. That's how you see it. That's how you see it. I just called to listen. Hung up the phone. About three days later, I got a message back. He said, I just want to thank you for listening, not trying to correct, not trying to argue, just listening. (laughs) We've got to realize there's a lot of hurting people out there. And a lot of the reasons they're hurting is they don't feel like their voice has been heard. They just need someone to listen I told you, I get a lot of direct messages with people with different views than I have. And I used to love to argue with people, man. Love it. Man, I'm 44 years old right now. I feel like I'm 74 years old, Pastor, and you folks. I'm married. I've got four kids. I've got a house and three dogs. And you never know what you're going to come home to that my wife's brought home. Human or animal. last thing I want to do is argue anymore. And it's amazing. Someone sent me a message and they said, you're the most loudmouth, opinionated person I've ever met. And somehow, you've come out of all of this unscathed. How have you not said something stupid? I said, well, I actually say a lot of things stupid. But I also listen. And when those with differing views know you're willing to listen, I have learned that they're then willing to listen to your views. Listening doesn't mean correcting. Listening doesn't mean proving right. Listening doesn't affirm them in their beliefs. It's simply just listening. My wife had a week this week. She's now been home from her job. My wife traveled for her job, so she has not worked. My wife is a working person. She wants to work. She likes to work. She's now been home since March. She was feeling a little overwhelmed this week. Maybe feeling like me and the kids were taking advantage of mom and wife home all the time. I am not the smartest person in the world and was not picking up on the hints. Hence, like, my God, Gary, you're a walking tornado. I didn't pick up on that. These kids never listen anymore. Y'all get mad when I scream and holler, but when I ask nicely, nobody listens. Didn't pick up on that hint. A little bit slow. So I call her the other day, and it's obvious, man. You know it's obvious 
when something's wrong? I said, what's wrong? I don't want to talk about it. Something's wrong. Like literally, I was clueless what was wrong. I don't want to fight. I said, well, good. I don't want to fight either. Just tell me what's wrong. And it's rare that I actually do the right thing. I said, just tell me what's wrong, and I won't respond. It's like a freaking machine gun. (laughs) Dishes in the sink. Clothes not folded. Dishwasher overflowing. Maybe there were seven or eight different ball caps laying around the house. There was no proof of that because she picked them up, so she says, I don't know if that was true or not. Emily not listening, not cleaning her room, not doing what she's told to do, not getting up on time. Luke making cereal and like gets more out of the bowl than he gets in the bowl. And it's rare that I do this. That's why I'm bragging on myself right here. She vented. I said, yeah, I get it. You're absolutely right. And we'll work on that. Hung up the phone. And guess what happened as a result of that? It's amazing. We didn't fight all day. She didn't get mad thinking I was trying to justify it. Came home, took care of what I was supposed to take care of. We did it. And that was the end of the discussion. You know why? Because for once, I just loved her by listening. She needed to vent, and we did that. Quit getting so defensive. Quit getting so mad. And oh, let me say this, by the way. I'm not even going to touch on individual subjects. If some of you got as passionate about Jesus, if some of you got as passionate about Jesus, <laughs> actually, I'm going to call it out. As you are about a flag, mask, restaurants being open, essential this and essential that. If you got as passionate about Jesus as you did everything else you bitch and moan about on Facebook, we might change the world with the message of Jesus Christ. You say none of those things matter. Yeah, they matter. They matter to me too. But I've never seen any of you get as passionate about Jesus as you do the other stuff. If some of you got as passionate about Jesus as you do who would be our next president, we might see revival in this land. But what if this happens? Guess what? If this happens, Jesus is still Jesus. Guess what he says in his word? In this world, you will have trouble. Where did you think this was a gravy train life? Quit listening to the TV preachers that tell you the minute you fall in love with Jesus, everything is a field of sunflowers and you ride unicorns who fart bubbles. That's not life. Matter of fact, the Bible says as it comes closer to his return, things will get worse and worse. Why are you surprised? Just love Jesus and love people. We're going to touch and we're going to listen. I'm done. We're going to go home because I'm hungry. We're going to love with our time. Do you know the most valuable thing that I have is my time? Do you know the one thing that I can never get back is my time. I've lost everything and got back on my feet. I've lost every bit of finances, every bit of friends, every job. I've lost it all. I went from being on top of the world to literally being homeless. I had to fight, but I got it all back. But I ain't never lost time and be able to get into a DeLorean and go back in time and get that time back. The most valuable thing that we have is our time. 
Jesus had three and a half years of ministry on this life, and he had to fit a lot into that three and a half years. He was always on the move. He was always going somewhere. He always had someone to heal. He was always preaching to a crowd. He was always trying to multiply food to feed 5,000 people. He was moving and grooving and dealing with haters and doing all this. Jesus was as busy as anybody there ever was, but guess what he did? He always made time for the hurting. One of my favorite stories, I've preached it a thousand times, is Jesus preaching. There's so many people. Four dudes take time out. They bring their friend to Jesus on a stretcher. They can't get him to him. They cut a hole in the roof. They drop him down in front of Jesus. Jesus is teaching hundreds of people, and he stops what he's doing, and he makes time for the guy on the mat. Let me tell you something. Love happens in the interruptions. Ministry happens in the interruptions. You don't get to schedule ministry. Opportunities to love don't come along. I've said this for hundreds of years. I've been pastor, I've said it for hundreds of years. I've said it for 22 years. I've been pastor, crap, I'm 44 now. Yeah, 23 years now I've been pastoring. In 23 years, I don't think one pregnant woman in my church has ever had a baby nine to five Monday through Friday. Ever. I don't think anybody's ever gotten a car wreck on Monday through Friday, nine to five, when I'm working office hours. I don't think anybody's ever relapsed Monday through Friday, nine to five, when it's convenient for me to go deal with them. No, y'all are selfish. Gotta have that baby at three in the morning. Gotta wreck that car at 1 a.m., Ministry happens in the interruptions. You know how many times I've been on vacation and had to get in my car and tell my family, I'll be right back. Drive six hours and come and be here, pray with someone, bury someone, do a funeral for someone, do whatever, get back. I'm not complaining. What I'm simply saying is, is we need to learn that the most valuable thing we have is our time. And you show people you love them by making time for them. We make time to love people. We've got to stop looking at people as interruptions and start looking at them as divine appointments. We're going to love people with touch. We're going to love people with listening. We're going to love people by making time to love them. Notice one of the things I didn't tell you. I didn't say we're going to love people by telling them that. I think you ought to tell people you love them. But that's the easiest thing to do. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. The Bible says faith without action is dead. You want to show the world you love them? Make time to, for physical touch. Make time to listen to them wherever they are. Make time to give them your time. In times like these, this is how we respond. And we do that by simply these three things. We also need to remember this. We need to see people simply as people. See people simply as people. Not as enemies, not as people to argue with, just people. People are people. And, and can I enlighten you on something that's going to burst a lot of your bubble? I see a lot of hatred out there. <laughs> but I see a lot more unity and a lot more love than the media tell you is happening. Just being honest with you. I don't think you'd find anybody who's around people more than I am. I pastor this church. I do events for a living. I'm around people all the time. We need to see people simply as people. We need to love people, period. That means you love them no matter what. They're unlovable. I know, I know, and so are you at times. <laughs> Gary Lamb, king of being unlovable. I wouldn't be here if some of you hadn't loved me in my darkest hours. We need to love people. And then this is the last thing for me. This is how we enact these three things. We need to remember God loves us. 
for all of our mess-ups and all of our screw-ups and all of our imperfections. Think about that. The God of the universe loves us. So who are we not to love others? In times like these, how do we respond? We simply respond with love. Let's pray.